Alright, back to part two of Cycles and Stages. Shall we begin? Let's just get this ready. Alright. The day after tomorrow or Mad Max? Everything in existence has its purpose. The Four Seasons are no different. You see, the Four Seasons offer us an amazing gift. One that, as stated previously, usually goes underappreciated and unnoticed. Unfortunately, without the Four Seasons, almost all life on planet Earth would cease to exist, at least in its current state. And by life, I mean everything that is currently alive, including our bodies. And although some beings would be able to adapt or evolve to survive, it is my guess that almost all life, including the millions of other life forms on this planet, would perish mainly because Earth requires all four seasons to run properly, therefore maintaining the, the requisite balance to allow life in its many forms to exist unless we succeed at producing artificial life. Think about it from this perspective. Imagine if our planet could only experience eternal summer or eternal winter, not both, just one or the other. Could life, as we know it, be sustainable in those conditions? Basically, could life still grow in either extreme? Sure, some life forms would find a way, but this would not ring true for the majority of life on this planet. This is because, like everything else in existence, life also needs some sort of cycle to grow and produce. And reproduce. Be it a plant, flower, crop, or animal. And because we have yet to find a way to survive without food, we are very reliant on what the planet offers, which also includes the animals we slaughter for meat, pelts, etc. And although the four seasons rarely play a role in the development of a baby while inside its mother's womb, once said baby reaches the age of solid food, without spring or fall, the seedlings and harvesting months of the cycle or the seeding and harvesting months of the cycle, what will said baby feed off of? Of course, this is being quite optimistic considering the child makes it to said age to begin with after sustaining months of extreme, of either extreme heat or extreme cold. And although food is important, what kind of life is that for a child, or anyone really? Therefore, Without the four seasons, and therefore without life, we have no chance of survival in a scenario like the above, at least not within the parameters of our current lives. Personally, I think we owe the cycle of the four seasons a little more appreciation than currently offered, for it is because of the, the, this cycle as well as many other cycles that we exist at least in the form of a body.
your hot and your cold continued. Speaking of the body, if looked upon objectively, one will find that it is filled with amazing cycles, most of which fire automatically. Thankfully, because of this automation, our time is freed up to focus on external activities, like working, family, shopping, etc. Instead of on internal activities such as monitoring, monitoring our breathing, pumping our hearts, digesting our food, and much more. And although these number, these are, um, although there are numerous cycles within the body to choose from, there is one that corresponds quite well with the cycle of the four seasons, as well as science's theory of the Big Bang, the body's cooling cycle. For the most part, the purpose of this cycle is to keep our core temperature balanced, especially when reaching a state of overheating. However, unlike the four seasons, there are normally, uh, where it normally starts with spring and ends in winter, our cooling cycle starts in with winter, rest, then enters spring, activity, then summer, heat, and finally ends in fall our cooling down period. This, of course, all leads back to winter or another resting phase, preparing for yet another cooling cycle. Unfortunately, the same cannot be said for a nat about a natural heating cycle. For the times when our bodies enter extremely low temperatures, at least not for, um, not from Wait, unfortunately the same cannot be said about the natural heating cycle for the times when our bodies enter extremely low temperatures, at least not from the numerous articles I've read. However, I do feel like it's important to have both sides or both sets of cycles, heating and cooling, firing within our bodies. Let's see what Sorry, my apologies. A B. There we go. Um, however, I do feel like it's important to have both sets of cycles, heating and cooling, firing within our bodies, and it is never. What's going down, man? Gotcha, gotcha. Um, not here. Up there. Um, however, I do feel like it's important to have both sets of cycles, heating and cooling, firing within our bodies, as it is never good to live in either extreme for too long, mainly because it can lead to death. Nevertheless, in the case of having low body temperature, it's not only important to see a specialist, but it is also important to bundle up on clothing, unless cautioned otherwise. After all, you can always take off a few layers if you get too hot. In the beginning went kaboom. Perhaps the same can be said for about our universe's supposed evolution. 
not in regards of the removal of layers, but in regards to saying to us staying in one extreme or the other for too long. In fact, it almost seems serendipitous that life exists in the first place. And although many believe that life on planet Earth has taken form through numerous phases of evolution, they rarely take into consideration the divine accuracy, timing, and spacing needed for our planet to grow and sustain life. Thankfully, because of this accuracy, timing, and spacing, not only are we the perfect distance away from the sun, but also the perfect distance away from the main heating source of our of the universe, therefore keeping us from turning into a gas or freezing into a solid. And although it may seem like we exist in a solid state thanks to years of indoctrination, if one were to look at existence objectively, they'd see that everything, even gases and solids, are nothing more than liquids vibrating at different frequencies in relation to our bodies. However, because our brains have been trained to categorize the differences between objects, instead of seeing all states as one liquid, as one liquid, we classify them as either gas, liquid, or solid, creating science's three states of matter. And it is within these three states of matter that one of the greatest cycles and subsequent stages and cycles, etc., begins. Our universe. Swing Low Sweet Pendulum The reason I consider this to be one of the greatest cycles in existence is because it encompasses all other universal cycles within it. It is the one that started it all. The huge explosion of momentum, the big event that leads us to experience life on Earth. However, because we've been taught that our universe is infinite, it's hard for people to accept it as a cycle. Mainly because it means our universe, no matter how big it gets, eventually comes to an end. And if that's the case, then perhaps it's easier to look at it from a different perspective, one of duality. Think about it. Because our universe is based on the laws of duality, meaning that everything in existence must also have some sort of opposite, it is, it is only logical to think that every beginning must also have an end. And although it may be hard to accept, infinity, a measurement of time, is actually a cycle in and of itself. Therefore, it is only logical to assume that it too must have some sort of ending. Perhaps this ending is simply the beginning of yet another time cycle, one of non-existence. Furthermore, it is possible that the reason we believe the universe is infinite is simply because we won't be around to see it end, at least not in the bodies we operate. Which is unfortunate, because we won't get to experience the universe contract into itself only to begin the cycle again, expanding out as an entirely new universe. In the grand scheme of things, perhaps this is the reason we, or at least our bodies, go through the cycle of life, one of several 
clues to the pending contraction of our universe, the reverse swing of our universe's pendulum. Essentially, there are a lot of cycles in existence that can be likened to that of a pendulum, swinging from one side to the other, then back to the beginning, only to start all over again. For example, the initial explosion of the Big Bang sets the pendulum of the universal cycle in motion. The pendulum then travels left to right, painting light or life onto the canvas of the nothingness. However, as it reaches its peak and its momentum slows to a halt, the pendulum has no choice but to swing the other way, this time acting as an eraser or perhaps a vacuum removing all signs of light until it reaches its original peak. At this point, everything is at rest, if only for a second, only, repeat, only to repeat the same sequence over and over again. And although the current version of our universe will end at some point, the possibility that all creation will end forever is very doubtful, mainly because with every end comes a new beginning just like with every death comes a new life. As for where we reside during this current pendulum swing, for all the data I've received and examined, we are currently experiencing an upswing of an expansion stage, slowly creeping towards its peak. Of course, upon reaching its peak, it also means that the universe will begin its downswing into contraction thus eliminating, eliminating any light in its wake. Unfortunately, there is no telling when this will happen, at least not at this moment, as it seems the universe is still happily expanding with little to no signs of stopping. However, it is my sincere hope that when our universe finally reaches its downswing, swinging back to its zero point, that we in some form or other, are around to experience it. Of course, the beauty and tragedy of existing is that the pendulum never truly stops, and although it may feel like we are eternally wrapped in a blanket of light, when the pendulum finally hits its return peak, zero point, even though it may feel like a fraction of a second, it will also feel like an eternity of darkness eternal sleep, only to be reawakened once again by an explosion, sending the pendulum back into motion, the cycle of life. And although the cycle of the universe may be the greatest cycle in the entire macrocosm, at least in our existence, the cycle of life reigns as champion on the microcosmic level, basically because it is probably one of the greatest experiences we will ever have especially on Earth. Unfortunately, because most people aren't typically aware of cycles, they also fail to appreciate the impact cycles have on our lives or how they work, especially the cycle of life. To me, this dates back to education and what we are taught in school. From the moment we enter school, we are graded, be it from an administrator, teacher, or fellow student. And although some schools have gotten away from standardized grading, 
a through f, the original method is still very operational, pass or fail. The reason for this, at least from my perspective, is that this method of grading prepares us for normal life. Think about it. In almost everything we do, we either pass or we fail, be it getting up in the morning, eating breakfast, finishing assignments at work, or gaining the attention of friends and family. This essentially is how the life cycle operates. Unfortunately, due to numerous factors, including years of negative conditioning and large classroom sizes, most teachers lack the empathy required to support students through this emotionally draining grading period. And although most students adapt quickly to the feeling of winning, passing, the same cannot be said about the students that fail or lose. And because our current educational system is set up to support those that win, our current system is, those considered to be failures are forced to repeat the same subjects over and over again, basically until satisfactory grades are met. Unfortunately, this cycle also continues through our lives, whether or not we are in school. For the most part, because we, as a society, have been brought up through the same system where winners win and losers lose, we, for the most part, see this as normal. Thus, this normality begins yet another cycle, the cycle of self-worth. One second. I'm not worthy. Think about what happens to people who consistently fail, be it in school, work, or life in general. The more they fail, the less worth they believe they have. This lack of worth usually leads to a severe case of self-sabotage, sometimes leading to death, suicide, often suicide. Of course, failure is but a small piece to a much larger part of the self-worth cycle. Our fear of success, if you think about it, perhaps the real reason, um, wait, hold on. if you think about it, perhaps the real reason we fear success is because we know how bad it feels to fail. Furthermore, because of the pain we feel when we fail, because of the pain we feel when we fail, in addition to the high we feel when we succeed, Perhaps the swing back to failure is what we fear the most. Therefore, perhaps staying in a low state of self-worth is more of an act or more an act of defense, preserving the last bits of happiness we have left, rather than being about achieving any type of success. At least that's how it feels for me when I enter the low end of my self-worth cycle. Unfortunately, our ability to achieve success plays a key role in our ability to create. Therefore, those dealing with low self-worth 
or esteem or confidence, low, low esteem, or I guess low self-esteem or low self-confidence, usually find it difficult to bring any type of creation to light. Of course, there are numerous ways to view success. For the most part, we view success solely from a human perspective, where achieving success comes in the form of accomplishing goals. However, success can also be found in moments of failure. Unfortunately, because we also view failure from a very human perspective, we miss the invisible forces that work against us while in the, um, while in the creative cycle, the most notable being that of resistance. Resistance is futile. Think about it this way. Although resistance is a key component to working out, be it with weights, lifting, incline, running, cycling, or even stretching, yoga, it also plays a role in whether or not we exercise in the first place. Therefore, if we can fight through the resistance of actually working out, we eventually succeed in gaining the body we want. And, al and although resistance helps with the process of gaining muscle, for the most part, resistance only has the purpose of, only has one purpose, to stop us from achieving our goals. Thus, it is within our failures that resistance is successful. Furthermore, this idea can be applied to almost anything we want to achieve, be it in the body, or be it the perfect body, a work, a body of work, or even meeting new people. Therefore, success can actually be found in failure. The flip side to this is also true, where failure is found in success. However, this usually occurs when we have mastered our goal, and therefore, resistance no longer plays a factor. You see, in the creative cycle, resistance shows itself in several different ways. Of course, one cycle does the majority of its dirty work, this being the cycle of self-worth. However, unlike some of the other cycles discussed in this chapter, the cycle of self-worth is slightly more complicated than its predecessors. Instead of being straightforward, jumping from one stage to the next, then repeating, the cycle of self-worth along with thousands of other cycles, operates more like a pendulum swinging from one side to the other. These cycles begin by pulling the pendulum up to one side, a zero point. The pendulum is then released into, the down, into a downswing, heading towards the other side. As it gains momentum, it passes its first equilibrium point, initial start, therefore entering an upswing. Upon reaching the other side, it then follows the same procedure back to its zero point, completing the cycle. From there, it continues this motion indefinitely or until the organism dies. The swing of duality. However, the big reason these cycles are more advanced is because, or um, is that they carry both aspects of duality, yin and yang, within them. To understand this in full, I'd like you to picture a blank canvas, or a black canvas. Now, in front of the black canvas is a pendulum, and attached to the pendulum is an unused paintbrush. The paintbrush is then pulled to the side, 
and upon reaching its peak, the cycle zero point, the brush fills with fast drying white paint. It is then released, first swinging down, then up, eventually reaching the other side, all the while leaving a white streak on the canvas. Then, at the other side, the brush fills with fast drying black paint, the same color as the canvas. It then swings back to its zero point, basically erasing the white streak. The full rotation of a pendulum swing is one complete cycle. As for the above example, to me, it represents a loose interpretation of the expansion and contraction of our universe, much like the example given above. Of course, this time in a much more creative way. And although our self-worth cycle is smaller in scale, it is no less comp complicated than the cycle of our universe. If anything, it's more complicated. For starters, just because you reach a peak doesn't mean you will reset on the swing back to the zero point. This is because the self-worth cycle only shifts upon conscious thought and effort. And although the pendulum will continuously swing, we only get an opportunity to rise up from, the low, from low self-worth or subsequently fall from high self-worth at every peak. Therefore, it is important to recognize where we are in the motions of the pendulum swing. By understanding the difference between a downswing and an upswing, we are able to gauge where we are in the cycle and therefore know when we are nearing a peak. From there, as long as we can recognize which state we are in, we can either shift from low to high or fall from high to low. Ladies and gentlemen, joy and fear. There are also several universal factors that affect the self-worth cycle, the two biggest being love and fear, which I touch on later in this book. However, because they play such a large role, it's worth discussing the basics of both and how they affect the cycle in general. I'm going to uh, replace the word love with joy. I think that's what I was meaning in there, and I just didn't edit that out. To me, love is all, all experiencing all emotions in one and just basically learning how to deal with them in relationships, to put it simply. Um... And although it's easy to distinguish between the two, as well as the two states of self-worth, it's important to uh, understand that there is more to love and fear than simply their emotional sides. And although most people look at joy and fear solely as emotions, when stripped to their core, they also register as frequencies. And while one vibrates at a fast frequency, joy, the other vibrates much slower, fear. Think of it this way, if joy is a rushing river with rapids, then fear is more like a lazy river or a stagnant pool of water. The less movement, the better, at least for fear. Furthermore, one is attached to light, joy, while the other is attached to darkness, fear. And because fear is associated with darkness, which vibrates at a slow frequency, it would only make sense that it occupies our lives when we are in low self-worth. Joy, however, because it vibrates at a higher frequency, can either propel us from low to high self-worth 
or keep us steady. To complicate matters slightly, the cycle of self-worth contains numerous stages within it. The most notorious being that self-confidence and self-esteem, both of which have their own pendulums that swing. Of course, joy and fear play a role in determining what side of the scale we are on during these cycles, low or high. Therefore, not only do we have a monitor that uh, have to monitor the macrocosm, the self-worth cycle, um, monitor the macrocosm, the self-worth cycle, we also have to monitor its stages, self-confidence, um, its stages, self-confidence, self-esteem, etc., the microcosm. However, the more we explore the world within, the sooner we recognize where we are in our cycles. We're also able to gauge what sort of stage we are in and thus be able to balance the low moments of both the lead cycle and its subsequent stages with an event with an even number of highs balance of course being key uh, being a key component in recognizing any cycle be it basic sleep time seasons etc or more complex life the universe self-worth etc and although some cycles may be basic it doesn't mean that they are less important than those that are more complex. This is because all cycles have a place and purpose in our lives. However, it's our responsibility to explore them and see where they fit. Why the importance of cycles? For the most part, all cycles included in this book, be it in this chapter or in subsections of different chapters, have an important meaning not only to my life but yours as well. Therefore, not only is it important to recognize that these cycles exist, but also to recognize how they affect our individual lives. And although a cycle such as the Four Seasons may have a universal effect on how we function, each season affects us differently as individuals. In fact, the same can be said for almost all cycles in existence, or at least the ones we are currently able to recognize and explore. In saying that, it's also important to recognize the impact that cycles have on our lives, if only to understand that with every low, an opposite high is just around the corner, or swing of the pendulum. Therefore, instead of becoming depressed whenever something doesn't work out, know that it won't last forever and that one day you will once again be moving in the right direction. Depression also plays an important role in the cycle of creating. However, however, because the cycle of creating or creative cycle is just as or possibly more complicated than that of self-worth, I think it's best to finish this chapter and discuss the cycles of creating in the next volume to create. And as this chapter comes to an end, I'd like to take a moment and reflect upon the information given within these pages, as they play a key role in the rest of this book, as well as in our lives in general. With that, I encourage you to expand on any of the cycles listed above or explore your own. If you do, let me know your results. My contact information is in the back. And remember, 
Although we function as individuals, we also function as a group. Therefore, there are both individual and universal cycles that affect our daily lives, as well as our overall life cycle. Thus, the more we understand and expand upon cycles and stages, both of the macrocosm and microcosm, and share these results with one another, the greater the chance we, all of us on planet Earth, will have of understanding our true purpose on this planet. Of course, I mean, of who we are, where we come from, why we are here, and where we go when we die. In the end, whether we accept it or not, our lives are ruled by cycles and stages, and if that's the case, we might as well understand how they work and how they impact our lives. If we don't, it is likely that we'll end up in a never-ending loop, continuously repeating the negative end of the cycle and stages, never knowing the positive side existed. As for those that still don't believe in cycles, perhaps it's time to end this chapter and start anew in chapter 2. I don't believe that. Where I address one of the main reasons we as humans, as a species, have failed to evolve beyond their current state of beginning. Their beliefs. Of course, a word of caution before flipping to the next page. You better buckle up. Because the ride is about to get a bumpy. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate your time. That concludes chapter one of Cycles and Stages of the book We Exist, written by Michael Stevens, or We Are Existence. I hope you've enjoyed, and I wish you all the best in life, and I hope you come back and read the next, or listen to the next chapter. Peace.